Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. We're going to continue our conversation this morning, and um, apparently this subject matter is a little unusual. Um, I do apologize for that, but I'm a little unusual. And um, some of the things the Lord has taught me over my journey with Him have really changed the way I've lived my life and helped many people, I think, over time to see how they could possibly live their life. But this morning, in this whole conversation about the missing link, which is our imagination and how for us it is the place where God speaks and God places His kingdom values and His truths and His life, and without us partnering coherently with our imagination, we will find ourselves not really fulfilling the dream of His heart to see us live in the abundance of Jesus Christ. Our imagination, if you like, is the womb where the Lord plants the seed of truth that gives birth to kingdoms and ministries and lives and transformation. And um, you know the Hebrew word for uh, intercession is the word paga. And basically what it means is this, that God intersects our thinking with a thought that comes from Him. But if our imagination, if our mind is not in partnership with what God is planting, so often what we do is we dismiss what God is saying to us. And I can think of many occasions on my life where just out of the blue, the Holy Spirit began to speak something to me that completely transformed the way I thought about a situation. Many, many years ago in the shower, I was asking God, we were working as part of the youth team, what can we do to reach out beyond our youth fellowship and see some people come to faith? And I remember the Lord saying to me, you know, this is life after dusk. When I used to be a singer, I had the surname Dusky, which is a family showbiz surname, and I felt God was saying, this is post-Dusky. So we started this little group called um, After Dusk, I think it was called. It used to meet on once a month on a Friday night, I think, and uh, we would dress the center over there. It looked like a nightclub, and we'd have a stage, and we'd have a house band, and we had a set, and all of these things. The Lord had trained me, and I used to be a merchandiser and uh, an interior designer, so we had this amazing environment that looked just like a nightclub, and I can't count the amount of people that came through that particular season of the church that gave their hearts to Jesus. I remember one night, just out of a thought in, in the, the shower, I remember one night I felt, you know, we should really challenge the guest speaker that we had, and we decided to be quite open and invite people who believed they had power. So I think this particular night, we had somebody who was in some ways some kind of uh, medium, and so they came along to the conversation. We were chatting around and all that kind of stuff, and I kind of said really quite boldly, you know, well, show us what you got. Show us what you got. And um, of course, you know, other, other brands are available. I don't recommend. I'm quite bold with certain things. And the person could not move in their power because the presence of God was so tangible in that room. It could not move in power at all. And they kept looking at me and, and twitching and all of the things that happens whenever God begins to bring blockage to satanic powers. And we said, now we're going to pray for you. And this lady got baptized in the Holy Spirit there and then she got filled with the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, the unlikely character was this lady to ever experience God. And I think she attended the church for a while but moved away from the area. A young woman, um, so keen on supernatural things, and she found the true supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and went on to prophesy and minister to people quite effectively. But it all started with a thought. Now, if I was the kind of person whose imagination would dismiss that thought, 
If my imagination wasn't a fruitful place in the sense that it had an ability to accept the creative power of God, if I had a religious paradigm in my mind that said we couldn't possibly engage with that kind of reality, wouldn't it be inappropriate for us to invite people with different spiritual truths, then we would never have seen the amount of people get saved and the amount of lives changed, and that young lady would never, ever have discovered, unless God found another way, the reality of the spiritual world that she was searching for, looking for the right thing in all the wrong places. You see, your imagination is the womb of your spiritual life. And when God speaks, He always speaks to your imagination. He always speaks. The Paga Word of God comes to you in thought process. That's why in the book of Isaiah it says, His thoughts are not our thoughts, and His words are not our words. God has a whole way of thinking that you and I are playing catch-up with. He has things to tell us, hidden things to show us that as yet we are not able to see. And so I'm hoping as we walk through this journey together that we will see our minds redeemed. Because for some reason in the Pentecostal church, it's been considered a bad thing to have a good imagination. But your imagination is the place where God wants to show you things. He wants to bring revelation knowledge. He wants to bring understanding to all kinds of contexts and situations that you're facing. So the word imagination, simply put, is this. The process or power of forming a mental image of something that's not real or currently present. And many people confuse imagination with vision. But all vision really is, is a mental image produced by the imagination. So when people say, I've got vision for this and I've got vision for that, you know, one of the interesting things that I've found over the years is um, I've renovated, I think, probably nine houses have we been in, nine houses? We had to keep moving. The police were after us, and you know how those things are. So we're renovating houses, and um, we'd walk into these places that looked like they should be, you know, <laughs> should be condemned. Thank you, Jane. Yeah, and, um, and the estate agents, you know, estate agents, they have imagination, don't they? Have you noticed that with estate agents? Yes, the garden needs a little tidying as you get your machete out to try and hack down the trees that are not outside, but inside the kitchen. Just needs a little, a little tenderness and love. I think estate agents have the monopoly on imagination. Yes, they say, you know, and it's four bedrooms, and the fourth bedroom is a cupboard. And when you're as size I am, you can just get in and shut the door behind you. And they say, that would be wonderful for a child. What kind of child would you put in that tiny room? I, I think sometimes estate agents are selling you a dream that in clearly, in many ways, is not a reality. But I've, I've got this imagination that when I walk into any place, however derelict or, or bleak it looks, I see potential. I see, my, I see in my mind's eye, if you like, all the possibilities and all the things that could be in that particular environment. And I think that's the fruit of the prophetic ministry that God has, has blessed my heart with over many years. I, I perceive things that sometimes are not seen by the natural eye. And that also works in this context. You know, sometimes you'll probably wonder, why is he interrupting the worship? Isn't he old and fat? Shouldn't he sit down? Shouldn't somebody tell him? But when, when you have a mind's eye or, or, or imagination that's connecting with the Holy Spirit, you find yourself going on these great adventures with God. 
And, and often they are tiny little thoughts that the Spirit just places in your heart that turn into the most amazing outpourings of God's Spirit. People get healed and restored and renewed. And that is why our imagination has to be something of a priority to us. We need God to speak to our hearts and speak to our lives and minister into our imaginations the future that He has prepared for us. You see, you can't have vision without imagination. And while I find people use these words interchangeably, I want to focus in these next few weeks we have together on the ability to see what isn't present. Now, let me just stop for a moment and check your equipment. Can I check your equipment? I want you to close your eyes for a minute and imagine your house. I don't think anyone in this room would have a problem saying that they can see the front door. Open the front door in your imagination and go into your hallway. You can see it clearly. Give me a wave if you were able to do that. You can open your eyes now. The reason why I asked you to shut your eyes, and you didn't need to shut your eyes at all, is because sometimes we're a bit self-conscious about these things. If I was to say the word to you, dog, you probably wouldn't in your imagination spell the word dog. You would see a dog. And if you have a dog or had a dog, it's likely that that would be the dog that you would see. Your equipment is working well. Wait for a moment. I want you to visualize the cross. I want you to see Jesus, our Savior, hanging upon the cross, body broken and bruised, his life poured out for you. You see, the same equipment that causes you to see your house is the very equipment that God will use to bring deeper revelation of his nature and his character to you. And your imagination can, can open up the scriptures to you, can open up the power of God to you, can open up the fullness of the kingdom to you. But for many of us as adults here now, we think that the word imagination and any notion of developing our imagination is childishness. We've put these things aside, preferring <laughs> cynicism over innocence. I don't know if you've ever seen a little girl who's just come out of her dance class on a Saturday. Her mom, probably all parents will relate to this, rushing around taking kids to various different things. And um, you watch her as you're in the shopping center with them. And whatever her name is, she's partly dressed in some of the garb she was wearing for her dance class. And she is completely oblivious to what people consider to be normal. And she's pleading and stepping and twirling and dancing. And we look at that and we think, ah, oh, it won't be long before she becomes self-conscious. It won't be long until somebody tells her, stop that. It won't be long. Did you notice that? That was an Irish smack on the legs there. <laughs> It won't be long until our sense of embarrassments restrict her capacities for freedoms. It won't be long. And when she gets to school, that heart that loves to express and delight and celebrate life and all that's in front of her will slowly be ebbed away 
as we develop her left brain orientation to education, we do so at the sacrifice of her right brain orientation, which is to be creative and open and expressive in all kinds of ways. And we call that in the West maturity. Jesus, in stark contrast to that, puts a little child in the middle of a whole bunch of very clever and important people, and he says something, I think, that's so profound in regard to this matter. He says, unless you become like this little one, notice the phrase, you will miss the kingdom of heaven. In other words, unless your heart and your life is open and available and your imagination is free to see and to be all that God has for you to be, you will miss the kingdom of heaven. Now, I've spent I don't know how many years trying to fit into the church. And I realized that was never God's mandate for my life. I came to the church as a highly creative person, and I was educated to believe that creativity and sensitivity and that sense of, of the connection with life and God and the world was an inferior reality to head knowledge, and may I say this quite boldly, and religious thinking that in many ways quenches the breath of the Spirit in our lives. And nobody told me I shouldn't think like that. But when everybody around you doesn't think like that, when everybody around you has a, an alternative reality than the one that you have, you start to keep making those adjustments to be able to fit in and to be valued in that context. But for us as adults, our imagination is the key to the rest of our lives. And it opens up for us the possibility of God. And we can quote the scriptures till we're blue in the face. You know, we say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But the reality is, the gap between all that God has prepared all that God desires for you and your ability to embrace it is going to be found in how you think and how you interact with the truth of God's Word. Imagination is the ability to see with the mind what you cannot see with your eyes. It's not new to us as Christians because when we're in a meeting like this and the Holy Spirit begins to move, that's exactly what we're doing. We worship a God we have never actually seen. We're living under the conviction that the cross has finally paid the price for all of our sinfulness and waywardness, but we weren't at the cross. We didn't see the cross. But I don't know how many times, I'm sure you can say too, that when you've worshipped God, this place that you didn't actually physically visit is more real to you in your imagination than some of the tangible realities in which you're living in. Amen? We talk about the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that God calls him the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to look with a different set of eyes, 
to see the Holy Spirit and what He's doing in our lives. In the natural, sometimes in a meeting like this or even in our own lives, it doesn't always appear to us that God is doing something. But actually, when you start to allow your imagination to work with the Spirit, you start to see that God is always present and always working amongst His people. But you don't see that with your natural eye. Preaching. When we preach and talk and share, I can't see what's happening with you. Some of you look like you're asleep. Some of you look like you've just got out of bed. And somewhere in between, that's where the rest of us live. Okay, but the reality of this is, is inside of you, without my eyes able to penetrate or see that, I know and I believe categorically that the Word of God finds a place in us, and we can't physically see that, but we can sense that, and we can imagine that, and we can work with the Spirit to embrace that, and our hearts become the place where God begins to minister life. Amen? And all of that comes out of this engagement with the Word of God. What you're perceiving, what you're seeing, what you're interacting with, whether you realize it or not, is the very means by which God begins to minister to you. And just so we're all clear, you realize this, don't you, that you use your imagination every single day of your life. Have you ever lost your keys? Has anybody ever lost the car keys? Did you go to the book to look where they were? No, what did you do? Here's what we do. You kind of, in your mind, picture them somewhere, don't you? Yeah? Have you ever parked your car at Heathrow? <laughs> you need to have an amazing imagination to find it when you get back, don't you? I, I went once to Kenya, I think it was, and came back and uh, forgot to put down on my, in, in my diary the actual car park or even the... It took me four hours to find my car. Now, the problem was, I could imagine my car. I knew what my car looked like, but in the two weeks I was in Kenya, the cars either side of it had moved and changed. So while I was looking, and it, it took me an hour to realize this, when I was looking for the red Audi on the left-hand side next to my car, there was no red Audi on the left-hand side next to my car because they had long since gone. But you use your imagination all the time. Now, imagination can only work with the information you give it. And that information is either good or it's bad. Go to Luke chapter 6 for me, please. I don't know if we can get these up on the screen, but it would be helpful for folks if possible. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. It says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Your mind, your imagination, if it's not filled with good things, the reality will be it will be filled with other things. And while some of those things may be permissible, they certainly won't be beneficial. Having worked in ministry for a while with people who have all kinds of anxious issues, you find two characteristics of people who have anxiety. One is an, an innate self-consciousness about everything. In other words, in every room and in every conversation, that person is at the center of all those interactions. I would call it self 
awareness, which is positive, but it can so easily turn into self-centeredness. Because not everything that's happening in every room is about you. And your filter is not the only filter that determines what is or isn't real in any context in which you happen to be in. But people with anxiety, they live with this incredible awareness of themselves all the time. Now that awareness, sadly, is not a positive thing because so often they can feel all kinds of things as a result of the way their mind has been conditioned by fear or anxiety or concern or worry. But actually, it's very difficult to go out and have freedom whenever your whole life is captivated by fear. And people can come to the church and we can talk about who the sun sets free is free indeed, and all that's fine and good and it's true, but actually the paradigm, the way that person thinks, will mean that the words that are spoken don't find a space and don't, can't find a place in their minds because their minds are crammed to overflowing with all kinds of nuances related to fear and anxiety. Does that make sense to you? Can you imagine if we traded up anxiety for security? Let's just trade those two words. If I decided to believe what the Bible actually said, as opposed to sometimes how I feel, amen? And I believed that I was a precious son of God, purchased by the most expensive, beautiful salvation known to anyone, anywhere, at any point, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. If I really believed that I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb, I'm redeemed in Christ, and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and instead of living in anxiety, I preoccupied my mind with my eternal and present security. Can you imagine that when I turn up in any context, it don't matter what anybody says to me. It doesn't matter what's happening around me because my imagination has been working with the truth of God's Word to such a point that I have a stronghold of hope even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Your imagination is something God wants to fill with His Word and His truth and His power, but it's also the place where Satan wants to fill your imagination with trash, with all kinds of things that will steal from you the life that Christ has indeed provided for you. And that is why Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to the church at Rome. If you have your Bible open, go into Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and he says these words. These are very important words to us, particularly in light of this conversation. He says in verse 2 of Romans 12, and do not be conformed. In other words, this reality is inferior to this reality. Do not be conformed. Don't fall into the trap <laughs> that what you see out here is really the truth. Amen? Don't be hijacked by cultural nuances and references. Do not allow the media, because you know all around us we have good news and fake news. Do not allow the media to shape the way you live or how you act, or what you think. 
He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But look at this particular phrase. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. The word that's used there is akin to the word metamorphosis, which basically means completely different. Be transformed. Be metamorphosed into the reality of what you are currently living, which is the truth of who God is and who God says you are. That there is the lifelong work of any pastor or teacher in the Bible. Anyone who knows anything about how this world works and how God changes people will camp on this scripture for a long period of time because actually this is what we are trying to do here. We're trying to change the way we think because all week long, and think this through with me, you have been bombarded with all kinds of information and experiences that tell you this is true. And you get one hour in church and someone says to you something that's contradicting that. No, that is not true. This is true. A friend of mine went to the hospital. He was a minister and uh, he was going to get some life insurance policy and they put him on the treadmill. He had to get this kind of examination and, uh, and the doctor looked at him when he they couldn't get the um, pads on his chest and he refused to have his chest shaved. I don't know why that was the case, but he, he thought obviously his chest hair was very important to his life. I don't know why. Perhaps he had a medallion on a Saturday night and went out with his shirt up, but I don't know. But he, 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 he wouldn't let that happen. And so he's trying to, trying to hold the nurses either side, trying to hold these pads. And so when the echogram, echogram is that what it's called? came back, it looked like there may have been some problems. And so the doctor said to him, he was there for a good few hours, the doctor said to him, you know, I think we're going to take you over to the hospital. Um, you have a heart problem. We need to maybe operate immediately. And this is what my friend said, you're a liar. And you can imagine how that went well with the doctors, can't you? And the doctor went, what do you mean? He said, that's not true. And the doctor said, well, it shows that there's a fault somewhere. He said, yeah, the fault was we couldn't get the pads to stick, and therefore your reading can't be accurate. And he said, no, no, I think you need to go to the... He said, do it again. Do the test again. And they did the test again, reluctantly, I may add, <laughs> as you would. <laughs> and he allowed them to shave one part of his... And guess what? He was right. Now, what I'm trying to say to you is, sometimes with all the greatest expertise in the world, okay, we can believe things that aren't truly accurate, and there's all kinds of reasons why they're not accurate. Yes? Okay? But he would have been in heart surgery had he taken that at face value. Now, if I was him, I'd have just gone along with it because I wouldn't want to upset anybody. I mean, you know, rather than think you got it wrong, I always believe I must have it wrong. Can you see how the mindset could lead a person either to something that was highly detrimental to them or indeed prevented something from happening that could have been highly detrimental to them? I think he left that particular hospital 
And on his way home, he tells the story much better than I. He saw a lady whose car had broken down on the side of the road and it was on a slightly incline, and he was pushing that car up the hill until he got it started. There was nothing wrong with his heart. That's why the Bible asks this question of us, whose report will you believe? It asks that question, whose report will you believe? In other words, there's this presenting truth, and then there's the truth of what God says to be true about you. So do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be you transformed, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. And what Paul is referring to is a medical term called neuropathways. Neuropathways are embeddedments into the um, outer parts of the brain. I understand, as you can tell, I'm highly medical. And um, they, in many ways, become the shortcuts in the way we think so that we act and respond as a result of it. Now, I came across these things many, many years ago when I was trying to help somebody, and no matter how we said what we said or prayed what we prayed or ministered as the Holy Spirit led us to minister, that person was still trapped in the way they saw themselves and the way they saw their life. And um, I started to do a bit of research on how the brain actually works with truth. How does truth affect the brain? It's a very interesting uh, study to have done. But actually, I came across an article that was written way back in the late 70s, early 80s, by a, a number of medical professionals who were doing research at the time of the AIDS epidemic on homosexual men who were living in San Francisco. They had, they had donated their bodies to the research to try and find out if there was anything inherent in the homosexual man that was causing them to attract. Obviously, we are much more educated about those matters now, um, but back then this was, this was groundbreaking research. And the research proved that this, this to be true, that men who had experienced, we're all adults here, um, hypersexual activity had in their brains very deep furrows, neuropathways, that made their compulsions almost automatic, almost automatic. And so that research was taken, and it started to be looked at a bit more seriously, and they started to look at how they can change the way people think. And uh, another research, forgive me, they're all sexual nuances, but that was where I was working in my life. Um, there was a research done on men who are addicted to pornographic images, and um, that research also proved to be the same. The neuropathies were very well formed, and so they came up with this methodology of changing what they call the traffic. So let me give you an impression of how this works. This is very important, so listen. We have no control over what happens around us, amen? I mean, for all intents and pur purposes, you may be the most virtuous man or woman on the planet, but within seconds, without even being aware of it, an image can attract your attention and stir your sexuality. Is that not true? Talk to me now. Don't go home on me yet. Is that not true? Yeah? So you can't do anything about this. Think it through. There are certain places and spaces perhaps you shouldn't be in if these are issues to you, but you can't do anything about this. Okay? But as soon as that image comes to you, here's what was happening in these men who had a, a, a very deep neuropathological problem, is that image would move straight away to an emotion. There was no logic between those two junctures. Straight away that would become a feeling, and straight away that feeling would feel like it was an impulse, and they needed to act upon it. 
So here's what the scientists came up with. It's absolutely radical, and you're just going to be so blessed by it. They believed that if they broke the very rehearsed pattern of thinking, that that would set people free. And so men who were in therapy or sex therapy for their addictions would be given, are you ready for the medical term, an elastic band, that would be placed on their wrist and when they saw something that suddenly started to be a familiar pathway, they would take the band, pull it out and cause pain. Okay? It's a lot less severe than a marriage that's falling apart. Okay? And over time, having broken the neuropathological pattern in their minds, the imagery didn't result in the same outcomes that ordinarily they felt compulsive to do. So when Paul the Apostle here is writing, he's saying this to the church. You have neurological pathways that determine outcomes, and they have been fashioned in your mind by the life that you lived prior to Jesus, and now God is going to interrupt. Where does he interrupt? It's not an elastic band. Be you being transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, God, his word, his spirit will intersect every thought Another part of the Bible says, take every thought captive, every vain imagination. Goodness, we could write a book on vain imaginations. I mean, how many times have you worried about things that you lost sleep over and they never happened? What about an argument? Are you like me? Do you go over it in your head for days after? I'm ever so good at that. I tell you what, by day three, I could have said things so, so much better. Vain imaginations. We come in here and we say, Jesus at the center of it all. But actually, if you're really honest, most of the time it's you. There's a vanity to that. It's the trinity of I named it me, myself, and I. Simon at the center of it all. We can sing all the theology we want, but actually what God wants for us is to live that theology to live out the, the theos of God, the revelation of his nature and his character day by day, moment by moment in our lives. And Paul is addressing a problem where an imagination has been trained by evil and self and the flesh, and he's saying the journey now is to be transformed into all that you have already become in Christ. Because once you're born again, you can't be born again, again, and again, and again. You are a new creature in Christ. Come on, wake up, church. The old has gone. Okay? So you're coming into partnership. You're developing a new mindset because you have a new reality. And that new reality is you are no longer a slave to fear or sin. Why? Here's your new reality. Because now you are a child of God. You are now not living in condemnation. Why? 
because the Son has forgiven you through his precious blood on the cross. You have a new reality. The problem with most of us is we have a new reality, but we have an old mindset. And there's this battle and tension that keeps going on for the rest of our lives as we get rid of some stinking thinking that holds back the floodgates of the Father's love to materialize and to fashion itself in our lives. If I was to go through the Bible, I don't have the time to do that. I'm going to do one thing with you quickly. Um, I could tell you over and over again the incredible way in which people's imaginations formed a huge part of their ability to receive from God. One such man was Abraham. And before he was called Abraham, he was called Abram. And the Lord spoke to Abraham in the book of Genesis. He told him to leave his father's house and go to a land he would later inherit. That's in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And this is what the Lord actually said. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. Now right there at that moment, all Abraham had was what he knew. He had never left home. <laughs> He'd never gone on an easy jet flight to anywhere. He just knew his family and he knew his life and he was about to come into an inheritance where all of the great things that his family had would be passed on to him. And right in the middle of it, his imagination is hijacked by a possibility that God offers to him. And this possibility turns into something phenomenal as we look through this. Abraham had never seen anywhere else but his homeland. He didn't know whether it would be good. He didn't know if it would be bad. But his imagination was captivated by the invitation of God. And as soon as he heard that, he began to prepare himself to go. He took his son, Genesis eleven thirty one. 31, if you want to follow it. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of, son, of his son Abram, Abram. And together they set out from Ur to the Chaldeans to go to Cana. But when they came to, Cana, to Haran, they settled there. So let me ask you the question. If you were Abram, why would you leave everything you knew? Why would you leave the security and indeed the legacy that would have been yours? There's only one possible answer to that question. There was something about the invitation that somehow captivated Abraham's imagination. And he began to contemplate and consider what was God really inviting him to? Now, Abraham's imagination was absolutely essential to his ongoing journey. And eventually, it ultimately concluded in him becoming Abraham. But if his imagination was crucial, can I just remind you that yours is too. This moment in time turned into a movement of God in his life. And it started with Pagar. It started with a thought as his imagination opened up to the possibilities of God. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what would be there. He didn't know how to get there. He knew nothing about the adventure. But his mind began to form a picture of what could be. Abraham had a better vision of an inheritance that God was promising than even the place where he lived, which was Ur. And so he began to seek the Lord. 
and Abraham's imagination began to work. As he traveled, as he took those steps towards this new life that God was inviting him to, if you were Abraham, what would have flooded your mind? Well, for me, it's a little bit twofold. Sometimes when God has asked us to step out, there's that initial excitement about what can be. Amen? And for a while, that will begin to help you keep moving and keep advancing in what it is that God has for you. So when we left here to go to Glasgow all those years ago, our daughter Emily had just been diagnosed with Turner Syndrome. Turner Syndrome is a chromosome disorder. In, in Downs, they have too many. In Turner's, they have too few. And we had just found out that news, and then God invited us to go to Scotland. 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 And I remember my family saying to us, whenever we, our imaginations were filled <laughs> with all that that could be, I remember our family saying to us, and you're leaving here to go to Scotland? Because you know, people in Birmingham think Birmingham is not just at the center of the United Kingdom. They think it's at the center of the world. Okay? And so we drove up the road, I remember that day very clearly, without any great clarity about what would happen or how it would happen or where we would live, really. We'd found a house and all of that kind of stuff. But, and our biggest concern, our biggest concern was our daughter. She was two at the time, I think. Now, we'd started the process here in, in Birmingham Children's Hospital, and we had no idea about Turner Syndrome. No idea whatsoever, but we knew it needed a specialist to be able to help the, the young girls. One in 2,500 young girls have Turner Syndrome. We get to Glasgow. It rains for 40 days and for 40 nights. <laughs> and so whatever our hearts were full of, our wellies were full of water. Okay, I remember Jane went into Sucky Hall Street, and she came back, and she looked like someone had taken a whole bucket of water and threw it on her. And she said, I only stepped outside the doorway for a few minutes. It just rained all the time. And I thought, my family must be right. Are we mentally ill? Why have we come here? I couldn't understand a word the people were saying. I remember shaking hands with somebody at the door of the church, and they say, And I looked, I looked to this lady who was, I think in some ways, lived down south. I said, what did she say? And she said, oh, we hope you have a very nice time as you live in the city of Glasgow. It took months, years. I don't think Jane ever got the handle of some of the acts. Being Irish, I could figure out some of the nuances. We had no idea what we were going to. But we knew. Our imagination began to be filled with all the possibilities of God. We knew that we were placed on the earth to experience revival. And we'd heard that this church had had experiences of the Holy Spirit in a profound and deep way over 13 years. And so we drove up the motorway. Some thought we were stupid. Others thought we were brave. In our hearts, we were just being obedient to what the Spirit of God was trying to show us. And I would honestly say that of the seven years that we spent there, they are some of the most fruitful years we've ever seen in our lives. But it's not over yet. It's not over yet. God did exceptional things in us. In us, we changed dramatically. But the good news story is he knows the end before the beginning. And within a matter of weeks, just getting Emily connected to the hospital, we discover that Emily is sitting under the, um, the care of a man called Dr. Donaldson, who is the foremost educator and research and expert on Turner Syndrome this side of the world. 
Abraham, as he began to journey towards the promise of God, filled his imagination with possibilities. What would this land look like? What would this be that God wants to do in our lives? And God gave Abraham a promise. Go to Genesis 13 for me, verse 16. Two promises God gave to Abraham. He said that his descendants would be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Genesis 13, verse 16. And of the stars in the sky. Genesis 15, verse 5. And guess what? As Abraham left everything behind and could only imagine what the Lord would do in his life, he had these two promises. And I love this. This is so like God. What did Abraham walk on every day? Dust. What did Abraham sleep under every night? Stars. God, in tangible ways, made that which seemed just an imagination or a thought or a vision very real. If you were walking for days on dust and God had promised you that your descendants would be as many as the dust on the earth, wouldn't that be somewhat an encouragement to you? Even if you had blisters on your feet. If you lay out under the stars with your family, can you imagine the conversations? Can you imagine his wife? Really, Abraham? Are you, are you real? Are you taking the mick here, boy? We've been going for days. Where is this place that God is sending us to? You know, you put the kids to bed. And have them a glass of Chardonnay. And a long soak in a camel's urn. But as they lay together, pondering, considering, imagining all that God would do, the heavens opened and they saw how many stars there are in the sky. You see, I've tried over these years to pray for people to be free from some of the things that hold them. Free to dream the dreams that God has for them. Free to extend their ten pegs and explore the possibilities of God. But the problem with that, there's no amount of laying on of hands that can cure your narrow-mindedness. That's a work in progress, and only God and you have the power to change some of those things. And you have to choose to change. Changing the way you think is a process. It doesn't happen overnight, and it takes a consistent and persistent pursuit of that transforming power. We, we used to be involved in a ministry um, called Restoring the Foundations. It looked at those four key areas, generational curses and the resulting effects on people, um, sins of the fathers, they called it, uh, soul and spirit hurts, things that happen to people that shape the paradigm of how people view the world. Um, that can be rejection, abandonment, abuse of all kinds. Ungodly belief systems, which I all think we in church don't think we have any, but actually anything that doesn't line up with what God says to be true. If you have a thought that isn't in partnership with the truth of God's word, it's not God. It's you. You need to change. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
And the final one was demonic oppression. And one of the things that would happen in these ministry sessions is people would come in, usually they were ministers we were praying for, and we'd walk through this process with them, praying day after day, lengthy periods of time of ministry and healing and restoration. And um, <clears throat> we did this because we believed that the freer the minister is, the freer the congregation is, the more healed up people are, the more healed up the church is. There's a, it was a key uh, thing to be focusing on. But I recognized something. I recognized that people wanted this instant fix. You know, they wanted somebody to lay hands on them and they're going to think like Jesus. Well, if that was possible, I would have found those hands <laughs> because I really had a lot of things that needed to change in my life. And so what we had to do at the end of their time with us, where they had, say, 20 or maybe 30 ungodly beliefs that existed in their life from the pain and the generational stuff, we'd have to give them 20 truths and so every morning, they would have to wake up. For 30-something days, they did this. And they'd have to speak these truths over their life. Why? Because you can't wave a magic wand and change a person's mind. It took you years to get into the mess you're in. A lot of people invested a lot of time to get you into the mess you're in. If God was to change the way you thought overnight, your whole life would be destroyed. So what he does, incrementally, considerably, and consistently, he partners with you to transform the way you see things. Little by little, the Bible uses this phrase, ever-changing from one degree of glory to the next and to the next. Be you transformed. Do you have any neuropathways that almost cause you to act or respond without much thought or consideration? It's just almost compulsive. Now, you don't have to be an addict in this room. Some of us are so conditioned to fear. Our minds are in partnership with rejection. We expect to be rejected. It's only a matter of time. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> the angels have come. <laughs> the angels have come. We tend to categorize these problems. When we see somebody highly affected by addiction, we think that person needs this help, but there's not a man or a woman in this room who doesn't have some thinking that is stinking. And the problem with that is that your mind is filled with other things so much so that when God wants to speak to you, when he desires to pagga with you and reveal something to you, you dismiss it instantly because the reality of this seems greater than the possibility of that. Who wants to be free of that? Who wants a mind filled? Let this mind be also in you that was in Christ Jesus. Who wants their mind, their imagination, filled. Who would like to walk in the fullness of all that God offers us as you engage your imagination in all that God is saying to us? Where are these people? Who are you? If you are here, will you stand? Thank you.
Father, the goal of my heart, I believe it's also more profoundly the goal of your heart, is to restore our imagination to such a point, Lord, that we become as children. So full of hope, so full of expectation, Lord, that joy is a consistent reality. Lord, Philippians 4 verse 8 reminds us how this can happen. It says, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent or good, these things think upon. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will invade our minds. Lord, in our conscious and subconscious, there are so many things, Lord God, that are hindering your word from finding fullness and life in us. And we may have a very rehearsed pattern of Bible reading, but Lord, if our minds are not available and our imaginations are not um, accessible to you because they're so full of other things, then we will have limited impact from your word. And yet, Lord, your desire is that your word would not return to you void, but accomplish everything you set it out to do. Lord, we know your heart. We see your heart. And Lord, you know our lives and you see our lives. And so somehow between the two, I pray, Lord God, your spirit would breathe life. Father, those who are trapped, those who are victims, those who feel they're less than, those who are hindered or restricted in their imagination. I stand opposed to such restrictions, and I say over their lives today, Lord, who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Those who have lost hope or given up trying, Father, or think they'll always be this way, Lord, and can never truly change, Lord, we renounce that lie. That's an ungodly belief. We renounce that lie in the name of Jesus Christ, and we embrace this truth. My God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, there it is again, according to his power at work in us. Father, when we read your word, I pray, Lord God, that we won't just engage with it from our intellect. That's important. But Lord, I pray that our imaginations would mull over and marinate in the reality of the truth that you've given us so that our minds may be filled to overflowing with your presence and your power. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week, church. God bless you.